electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it is the most feared technical indicator on Wall Street, the death cross. And it's rearing its ugly head on small caps. If history is any indication, it spells more trouble ahead for the market. We'll explain. Plus, a crude sell-off, oil having its worst day since September 2015 as it hits its lowest level in a year. So just how low can oil go? But we start with Apple under pressure. It has been bad news and then more bad news since the tech giant hit an all-time high on October 3rd. The stock has been in meltdown mode, now down 18% from the high, nearing a bear market. Apple has lost almost $20 billion in market cap as worries over shipments and demand have investors questioning that trillion-dollar valuation. So all this has the stock market as a stock, I should say, closes below its 200-day moving average for the first time since April. So is there more pain ahead for this tech giant? This guy was supposed to be the defensive tech stock yeah, in the market. Yeah, a week or so ago, I think I went up to the smart board and did, did a power you? pitch. Not so smart, yeah. huh? In, in Apple, and it turned out to be, for a day, Rock. it looked like a genius, and now obviously, you know, $8 later. I thought you so. pitched it as a short, to be honest with you. I thought you pitched so, it as a kudos to you. Well, a great bit. job on me. Back <laughs> to nice you. Job. But no, so if, if, if more pain ahead means another $7 or so down to 185 yeah, there's more pain ahead. If 185 is not a big deal, then I think the stock is fine here. I understand trillion-dollar valuation got on everybody's radar screen. I understand that they're not giving guidance in terms of hardware and what they're selling. I get all that, and I understand why that can be deemed as a negative. But I don't think Apple changed from two weeks ago prior to that announcement to where the company is now. So I still think it makes a lot of sense right here. Well, the, dif the difference is we've seen some people, a lot of their suppliers say, listen, you know what, we're, the, things are getting cut back. Nikkei reported on November 5th that the XR isn't selling as well. They're telling Foxconn to cut back on uh, development there. So that's the difference. The, it's not as clear as it used to be. We're seeing that their business is slowing down. And to add insult to injury, Apple went in and said, "You know what? We're not going to show you. Um, we're not going to show you." Uh, we've seen that. What we've we seen that supplier data, yeah. though, be faulty. But to your point, it's never been coupled with Apple saying, "We're not giving you guidance and anymore and on and the hardware anymore." And a downgrade. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah, and, and downgrading fourth quarter and pointing out that emerging markets actually and, you know, and a, a FX headwind, which I don't really care about that, frankly. I care a lot more about them saying demand uh, for the XR, for that lower price phone, which really is, is where they're going. And thank goodness for the XS and the Max and all these. I, I'm getting flavors. confused, by the way. I'm getting confused. But that's supposed to mitigate what's going on. And I think in the short run, it actually does. Um, the bottom line for Apple in terms of in terms of iPhone shipments is you're going to basically be peaking over a three-year period or basically doing nothing over the three-year period. If you look at essentially where we're going, 2018, 19, 2017, 18, and 19. And that's a problem. I, th I think the biggest thing that could come out of here as a tailwind, if this ever recovers from here, is the services number. If this ever recovers from well, here. Well, I, I, I say yeah, it's so, sort of off. Well, I, I mean near term. Uh -huh. Near term, if we're out of this sort of, not I don't want to call it a death spiral, but it, it has taken a hit pretty quickly for the Apple, which was the growth and the value as you led and into the, the segment. Right. Yeah. 
It's $37 billion as far as service revenue. So if all of this comes out to focusing more on that versus iPhone sales, I think it's a tailwind and ultimately it's a better thing for the company. Do you think investors are using the bad news from Hanhai, from Japan Display, from Lumentum, from all of these various Apple suppliers as an excuse to sell the last standing tech stock in the face of a China trade war and not knowing what the impact is going to be, not knowing where global growth is, yeah, and I think like, it gets get rid of it. Right, and it gets exacerbated by the fact that they changed how they're giving their units out. They're not giving it out anymore. So that makes people much more uncertain, and they're much quicker to, to sell first and ask questions later. Implied in my question, though, is that there's a fundamental story still here for Apple, unless you believe that demand is truly threatened here, but, that this time the supplier data is something to read through to Apple itself. So, so it's very important to restate a thesis on Apple, which I think did exist two weeks ago or two months ago and is still very much alive today. And I still believe it very much. First of all, on the capital market side, this company is going to continue to buy back stock and actually possibly increase the dividend, certainly do everything they can actually to give $50 billion a year in free cash flow back to the investor. The second thing is that the installed base is enormous, that the service revenue, maybe you're a little disappointed at where we went in the last quarter, and some of that is fluffed up by healthcare. Some of that is just new screen repairs. Bottom line is this company is getting a better multiple. That was very right. much the story. It's not a hardware company. Well, uh, they want you to right now say they're not a hardware company. We're no longer going to guide on units. Treat us like a software company. No, we cannot. But I still think this company, I think at these levels, is very interesting. And yes, it is a market proxy right now. And there are growing pains associated with trying to make that transition and doing it in such a way that they did. They're, I think the way they gave it to the street wasn't, they could have done it better. That notwithstanding, I mean, you saw moves not of this magnitude, but go back to the beginning of the year when the stock went from 180 down to 160 yep. and pretty much and challenged the 200-day two other times two this other year. Two other times this year. Now, this move has been over a longer period of time, and it has been more dramatic. But this 190 level is actually where we took off from and went parabolic from back in August. So, listen, I understand there is more pain. It's been a very tough trade to be in. You know, Apple's one of those stocks that everybody think goes up in perpetuity. And this is obviously painful. But I do think it's at levels now that make a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, a one-day was challenged in February and in April, and it was only below the 200-day for a handful of days. We're just below the 200-day now. It's 193.36 is the 200-day. We're below it now, but we're just a hair below it. Now, it doesn't matter for technicals. Once you break a significant level, it's broke. It doesn't, it doesn't care to what degree you break it. But once again, we were only below that the other two times this year. So does that mean I should be worried about that? or I should not be worried about that? You should be worried about it if it lasts longer than a week below the 200-day because that's what we've seen from the February sell-off uh -huh. to the April sell-off. We've only seen them a handful of days below the 200. Here's the bigger question, though. If we've lost Apple, even if it's for a finite amount of time in the short term, does that mean necessarily that the markets can't find footing as well? well you got the biggest stock... Yes. With a huge ecosystem around it, but we had semis, suppliers, et cetera, and it may be a proxy for consumer spending. Precisely. That's, that is the question that you have to ask. Uh, and, and I think, given everything else that is going, around, going on around the world, to look at Apple and say, okay, wait, their orders are slowing down. The global growth story has decelerated at the very least. So maybe, yeah, you know what? Maybe things are not as great as we thought. I still, I agree with everybody else. So the good news is here, I think people are going to overreact to Apple here. And somewhere around 185, you probably get a really good trading opportunity to pick it up. In terms of the broader market, I don't think the, it's pretty clear the market did not trade particularly well today. That's stating the obvious. But more so in the fact that in the wake of yesterday, which was a miserable day, the market was not able 
able to hold on to a bounce that it historically, when I say historically, the last 10 years it typically has. So I still think there's further room to the downside. What would be great, though, if we could bring on somebody that would sort of give the bull case for you the broader so? market. I think it would be know. balanced. Yeah. I was going to say something, but now at this point I don't feel like there's really any room for me to get in the way of that. Uh, but, of a guest um, is bullish. So now I, I, let me simply say that I think it was disappointing <laughs> today as we lost Apple. Uh, or, sorry, the big story stocks yesterday were Apple, Goldman Sachs, and, and then there was oil. All three of those were weaker again today after huge and oversized pullbacks yesterday in oil with a dramatic move today. That should be of concern. All right. Well, while Apple drags the market lower, our next guest has found a silver lining. Value is suddenly everywhere. A new rally is about to begin. It's like new beginnings here. Chris Harvey, head of oh equities at Wells Fargo, joins us now. Chris, great to have you with us. It's good to be back, Melissa. What are you saying, 12% higher from here So between in, now in 2019? And 2019, yeah. that's right. And, and between now and year-end, mid-single digits to high-single digits. It's not, oh, my gosh, we're so bullish we can't see straight. It's there's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of de-risking. That's created opportunity. You look at the S&P, it's 15, 16 times earnings. How do we get here? We got here because rates went higher, because people thought the Fed was go going to be dovish, not hawkish, and because tech and momentum was in weak hands. We've washed that out. I, Steve, I know you're, you're looking for that cathartic puke. You, you still think that there's more people that are going to be washed out. But the people I talk to, they're washed out. The de-risking has occurred. If we look at rates, rates are now starting to come back down. And you're right, oil has gone down 7 8% today. That should keep, keep rates going lower. In addition to that, the Fed now has to acknowledge that trade and tariffs are starting to affect prices. There's cost inflation, the supply chain, and the economics. And that, to a certain degree at the margin, is going to be dovish. Yep. I'm, I'm sorry, Chris, but, Please. you know, Janet Yellen talked about transitory. That's a right. word she used all the time. I had to look it up. But uh, <laughs> I think, you know, the tariffs thing, and a lot of people think it is transitory. So why right. should the Fed sort of focus on something or probably go away right. in, in, in the president's mind in the next couple months? Right. It, it's not – they have to acknowledge. So earlier this year what they were saying is we're talking to the C-suite. We're talking to people in the know. And they're fearful. We don't see the facts. Now the facts are on the ground. If you go through 3Q earnings, you're seeing cost inflation. You're seeing prices change. You're hearing t people talk about changing around the supply chain. That's real. That's tangible. That may be transitory, but they have to acknowledge at this point in time, and that's important. Chris, one thing we did see today, or actually over the last couple of days, but more pronounced today, was high-yield junk bonds starting to have some, seeing some cracks in that arena. Right. Does that concern you for your bullish case? Um, it, it always does concern us, but why is it happening? It's happening because oil is going lower. Oil is now, that's, that's a tax rebate for the consumer. The consumer's in a pretty good place. What are we uh, on the top of? We're on top of spend. We're on top of the Christmas season. As people get more money in their pocket, they're going to spend it. So to a certain degree, we see it as positive, but we're not overlooking the fact that it's, it's put some stress into the credit market. So, Chris, when you look at the midterm elections, everyone was so positive just that we right. have closure from it. But if you, if you attribute right. any of the run-up due to pro-growth policies, less regulation, if that is going to be gridlock, right. you're not going to get any of that. So how do you make the case with whether or not rates are coming in now or not, to Guy's question, they're still going to be higher than they once were. We're going to have less pro-growth policies. Right. How do you make the case for 2940 in the S&P again, or above? For 29, oh, for the this, high, for the this high. year. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly, for, for so, this year, or even when you're talking about it, right. the landscape has changed. So we've had a lot of pain. So going into October, we were telling clients to de-risk. When you're above 2900, de-risk. We saw a lot of good news priced in. That de-risking has occurred. I haven't seen this kind of de-risking in years. There's going to be a massive culling of the herd at this point in time. That is going to, there are less sellers at this juncture. 
Now when we look forward, there's a lot, we, we've dealt with a lot of the negative news. As we look forward, we're going to have positive news around the holidays. We're going to have positive news as companies look forward. Apple it's, warned, Amazon warned, whether, it's, whether, whether or not. Those are the two names so, that dictate where the consumer is going to be. So Apple warned, Amazon warned. And now it's in the price. So now we can work higher from here. And if the consumer is better, and what we know from the credit card companies, consumer is better. We haven't factored in lower oil prices. And as we look forward, the employment picture is still very strong. All these other issues, I'm not saying things are great. What I'm saying is things are difficult, but there is now opportunity here. And that opportunity is because you've uncovered value. And, and as we go forward, you can start to unlock that in the short term for a trade. Thanks, Chris. Good to see you. Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo. Tim Seymour, well, you buy what Chris is selling, I, which I, is a rally into your end. I, I always listen intently to Chris, it's not and the I think question. he brings some good points. <laughs> I, I, think, I think what's, what's debatable. <laughs> okay. All right, now he's gone. Bottom, bottom, bottom line here is, yeah, he's gone. Um, <laughs> bottom line is, look, I think what Chris has to say in terms of the rally being exhausted and where people are, are, are you know, positioned differently than they mm -hmm. were, say, a month ago, yes, they are. Um, is my sense that people actually still believe that we have this year-end rally? Yes. And that's a bit of a concern. But forget reading tea leaves and market sentiment. I'll say it really simply. Bond yields, are they going lower because oil prices are going lower? No. Are oil prices going lower because bond yields are going lower? Possibly. But the bottom line is the bigger issue is a growth scare is much more important than an inflation scare for markets. And that's what we're experiencing right now. It doesn't mean that we think we're going into a recession. Sure. What it means is if you said 7% earnings growth on the S&P next year, I don't think we're going to get there. And I don't think stocks have that in them. All right. The great oil plunge rolls on as crude sinks to its lowest level in the year. As it takes down the energy sector, we are asking how much worse can it get? The traders will weigh in next. Plus, small caps could be signaling a big problem for the market. A top technician breaks down the dreaded death cross and what that could mean for stocks. And later, check out shares of Tilray. That pot stock taking a hit. <laughs> hit, get it? Uh, after its earnings report, we will tell you what the CEO said that has shareholders so nervous. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude oil getting slammed again today, having its worst day since September 2015, adding to an historic losing streak. President Trump tweeted, oil prices should be much lower based on supply. Well, OPEC and Russia have been increasing their output, even as demand forecasts for next year shrink. The move also sending energy stocks spiraling downward. Halliburton Marathon, Schlumberger, and ConocoPhillips all deep in the red. So how low can oil go? Tim. 
Well, oil's definitely oversold. It, it, you know, you don't necessarily have prices reflecting fundamentals in my view here. Saudi Arabia says they need to take a, a million barrels out of the market next year. Um, disappointing that also that had zero impact on price and, in fact, it exacerbated the selling. I don't really understand the statement that oil prices should be lower because there's too much supply. Um, I, I think ultimately the dynamic of what they said is they're trying to take, they're trying to balance out the oil market. By the way, one of the reasons why they're trying to balance out the oil market is because the U.S. Uh, non-conventional continues to pump away and actually is getting back near. Look at rig counts. If you look at rig counts, they're up about 22 percent year over year, especially the Permian Basin. You're actually seeing that U.S. non-conventional is once again a factor. Add in the dollar and add in a little bit of growth fear. And this is the perfect storm for oil. And remember, uh, while I don't think we're going to have the same kind of dollar move as we had back in 2014 into 15, these are all the ingredients that took oil significantly lower. And that was really, uh, I think, something it's that growth up. scare that's really interesting, right? Because if you look at it, not much has really changed in the oil market in the last six weeks. When we were close to $80, people were buying $100 call options saying, listen, we can go to $125, $150. I mean, you can't tell me that the production supply has picture changed, changed that has. much in the last six weeks. You I have... mean, in general, there's only so much oil out there in the world that's going to be pumped out. Now, you have to worry about the growth, score, it's growth scare. You have to worry about a strong dollar. But at $55 a barrel on uh, West Texas, that's the breakout point from 2015, 2016. It's probably pretty getting pretty close production to Production has changed, though. We're in, in, in front of Iranian sanctions, in front of Venezuela coming offline. You had Russia pump more. You had Saudis pump more. You had the U.S. pump more. So near term, I think that it is oversold. But it's based on an oversupply, not a lack of demand. But I hear you on the global growth issue. I mean, one of the, I thought you were going to go with it. production has changed in terms of the technology in production because on the U.S. side, the break-even for a lot of these producers much, much lower, lower from where we are here. It's 30 to $40, according to Jackie, who covers the oil markets um, for CNBC, of yeah. course. So we and, and feel more, more pain Steve here. Steve makes a point, but I also think President Trump was not going to say anything about the demand side of the equation because the demand side of the equation would sort of fly in the Being face indictment of, on the economy. So mm -hmm. I understand why he would go. Now, whether it's justified or not, I have no idea. What I'll say is this. You look at a Valero, which reported at the end of October, pretty significant quarter with pretty tremendous earnings growth, just got an upgrade of Credit Suisse. That stock is going from 123 down to 80 in about a month, month and a half. So at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, is this overdone? I happen to think in names like that it is. But I don't even think it's political. I think it, I think it truly is that supply glut because with the Iranian sanctions, there was supposed to be no waivers. Now you get six-month waivers for eight countries. So that's got to affect it. And the United States came on but really But we didn't wake strong. up, Steve, no. and suddenly have a supply gut. I mean, this didn't happen overnight. The United so, States uh, increased dramatically in the last couple of weeks. They, that, that's not why oil is down. The United uh, States is at historic highs. Russia's at historic screen? highs. And Saudi screen? Arabia. I mean, <laughs> you have three yeah, of the major producers really at historic highs. I love highs. I think Guy brings up a very important point. Remember who outperformed in the period? of lower oil prices when actually this is actually very good for refiners. In some sense, this is actually a boom time. And look at the crack spreads. They're near wides. WTI, Brent spread near its wide. So I think it's interesting. Also think that energy companies are being run for return of capital, not return on capital. And I think that's very important. If energy, if, if oil does not bounce, you will not now see the subsector bounce. Energy is down. The XLE is down 8% in a month or somewhere around there. I don't think you could see the subsector bounce that just bounce overnight, Steve? Do you think we actually Tim, you got to look at the production numbers. Yes, it has changed overnight. The U.S. Oh, production God. numbers have largely increased in a matter of weeks. It's at historic highs. Couple that. It's three nations producing more than they've ever produced. Look at the numbers. I feel like sometimes they continue talking just because we put the split screen.
screen up. I think, just kind of commercial break. I thought this was all internal. It took them a while to get to the split screen. I know, and then finally got it, and then we felt like we needed to. And then our camera guy ran in, and they got Tim and Steve. Nice little dust up there. For more Oil's record plunge and what it could mean for the markets, go to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. It's the scariest chart on Wall Street. The Death Cross. The Grim Reaper has come for small caps. But a top technician says, don't worry just yet. He will explain. Plus, we're taking you inside Tesla's $5 billion gigafactory as the electric vehicle maker tries to drive down production costs. But will it live up to the hype? There's much more Fast Money after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Small caps getting crushed, now inching towards a death cross. If that sounds scary, good, because it's usually for the market. For more on what's behind the move, let's get to Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. Hey, Bob. Not the death cross. Oh, no. Listen, there's been a lot of buzz around the sell-off in FANG and semis and other tech names, but less attention has been paid to the big decline in small cap stocks. Since the end of September, the Russell 2000 is down 12 percent, and it's performing worse than the Nasdaq 100. That's the tech bellwether everybody's worried about. There's also been significant technical deterioration. The 50-day moving average of 16.15 right now, it's sitting right on the 200-day moving average. If that 50-day drops below the 200-day, this is that so-called death cross, and it usually signifies at least more short-term pain ahead. Indeed, that is the case. Since the end of the financial crisis, the Russell 2000 has had five death crosses. One month later, the Russell fell an average of 2%, trading negatively four out of those five times. But not necessarily longer term. It's been positive three months later, most of the time. So what's going on here? These are domestic companies, okay? So the global growth slowdown story, it doesn't really apply here. Higher rates, that's definitely a big challenge for small companies, we know that. But tariff woes can also affect smaller companies if they're importing parts, for example. The decline did begin when tariffs started kicking in on Chinese goods at the end of September. All right, there's a smoking gun. Here's another issue. Small cap companies overall did not report the more robust earnings growth that the large cap companies reported. And they posted fewer beats than large cap companies in the third quarter. That's very interesting. All right, what's it all mean here? Since these are domestic stocks and they are underperforming, the market seems to be implying that domestic growth in the U.S. next year may not be as strong as expected. Now, this is really hotly debated right now. I think the correct way to look at this is that the underperformance is not so great right now that it would necessarily lead to that conclusion. But I think it definitely 
bears watching. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Bob Pisani on small caps. So do you think that it's because of the fundamental things tearing at the small caps, slowing domestic growth, the impact of tariffs, things like that? Yes, I, I do. And the irony, of course, is that you know, small business confidence has been at record, record levels. Again, we go back to 2000 for some of this. So um, there's, there is a bit of, of contrast. I, I just point out the last death cross of significance for the IWM, though, was in September of 2015, which was a terrible period, actually. Small cap stocks actually did sell off another 20%. I'm not saying we're there. I'm saying some of the same conditions are exactly there. You've got a Fed that hiked at the end of that year. It was their first hike. Market should have been ready for it. We're ready for this December. Dollar was strengthening. We were having some growth fears, and we had one of the worst first quarters that we've had in the market even since before the crisis. So that's the last history of a death cross. I think the setup is 2016 light. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Everybody talks about the small caps not be affected by global growth. I'll tell you what. You own the Applebee's next to the cat tractor factory. Hold on, what? And that gets Applebee's. Yeah, Applebee's. Yeah. Next to the what? Next to the cat tractor. Caterpillar. It's a oh. big company, Caterpillar. Oh. Oh, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> if you own that Applebee's and they're slowing down, then it's going to slow down at your restaurant as well. So it does impact it. I think it's a falsehood. So I would be concerned about the small caps. They also can't pass. I mean, they don't have the ability to absorb any price increases. So unlike larger manufacturers, if they have to pay more for something, they can absorb that in, in their margin. Smaller players generally cannot. They can't afford to just absorb that extra cost. They get price. hurt more, absolutely yeah. hurt more. So the levels you need to watch now, Bob talked about, I mean, it sounded more like a rebirth cross, the way he made it sound. A rebirth cross? Well, oh, man, he, you're he's talking, by half right. glass full tonight. No, I'm not. I'm always, you know I'm a half empty guy. empty, I know. With that said, 145 is where the IWM bottomed in February. It's where it bottomed recently. It bounced from that level, but it's reversing, and now it's at 150. If you want to talk about lines in the sand, Death Cross, Schmess Cross, 145 in the IWM. Come on. I'm well, telling you. If waiting for the small cap death cross is going to keep you up at night, don't worry. Our next guest says there's no need to panic. Let's go off the charts with Mark Newton of Newton Advisors. Mark, what are you looking at? Hi, so a lot of people are wondering that this recent deterioration in small caps should lead to the next big bear market. And really, what to make of this whole death cross? After all, it's after Halloween. Should we really be scared that this is going to lead to a bigger, bigger bear market? I would argue no. I've looked at these really since over the last 20 years. We've had it on eight occasions, and really six of the eight, the death cross happened right near the actual lows. So when you take a look at really the last couple times this has happened, the one was really 2015, right when the death cross happened, the Russell was right near 1,500. Well, it, it did, in fact, get down a little bit lower, but you'd had to weather really a move up to almost 2,100 before it moved lower. So you see, initially, here's the cross there. What happened? You went up before you went down. The time before that, it was very muddled. So in general, it's important to remember that a lot of times, a lot of the selling happens before the death cross actually takes place. In this case, we've seen almost a 12.5% decline, and now we're seeing the death cross. So I would argue it really doesn't have all that much predictive value in terms of should this be something that investors really should be concerned about. When you look at the Russell in general, people are saying, should this small cap weakness lead to the big bear market? And if you look over time, this is a relative chart, the Russell versus the S&P. So what's interesting is that throughout the entire period of, of the 1980s and even the 1990s, the Russell actually out, uh, underperformed pretty dramatically in what happened with large caps. So, and recently, in the last five years, it's been very muddled. So we've had a lot of really, a lot of indecision. So the fact that small caps have just turned down now, I would argue, has very little predictive power in, in suggesting that stocks are going to begin a new bear market. Of course, in any bear market, you do gradually see small caps start to turn down first, then the mid caps, 
than the large caps. So when you look at 2000, 2007, we did have death crosses and they did, of course, work. There are plenty of other occasions where they did not work. And so it's important not to get too concerned about this or think that this is really something that technicians watch. And then when it doesn't happen, you say, well, everybody's wrong. Most people don't really look at this all that often. Here's a chart of the monthly Russell. And I want to point out that, you know, the long-term uptrend is still very much intact. We did see really a break of the uptrend since 2016. So there has been pretty substantial deterioration. Relative strength got up to nearly an 80 on a monthly basis. That was very, very overbought. Similar to what we saw in the Russell back in 2013-14, which of course did lead to some of that underperformance. So we've seen the drop off after the Russell hit highs in late August, dropped 12.5%. This sent RSI, relative strength index, down to really the mid-40s, mid-50s. My thinking is even if we rally out of this into next spring, which I think can happen, momentum is not going to be able to make new highs. So this does set up the case of longer-term negative divergence momentum. And that is something over the next three to five years that we should be concerned about. For me, death cross, I think fear is on the rise right now. We're starting to see financials outperform a little bit in recent days. I think that's a positive. Uh, and people all of a sudden are starting to get more and more afraid. You see the trend as of yesterday, it was 1.76. That's the highest level since August. In other words, far more volume into declining versus advancing stocks. The bottom line is I don't necessarily think this is a time to be afraid of the Russell after a 12.5% dip. We did see almost an 8% rally off the late October lows. So if anything, pullbacks over the next few days, which can in fact happen, Technicals are still pretty negative on the Russell. Uh, that, in my opinion, should be a buying opportunity for a holiday rally. All right, Mark, thank you very much. Good to see you. Mark Newton of my Newton pleasure. Advisors. Thanks, uh, would you be a buyer of Russell? So, so I think the death cross, we all agree on the desk, is a, a muted at best signal. But you have to remember, materials are 17%. I don't agree. What? I don't agree it was muted. before. I thought you said that it's not reliable. When did I say that? I don't know. Go ahead. Tell me what you think about it. I told you I said in September of 2015, actually, the death so cross altered death a, a very difficult move for markets. And right. that actually, I think we're in the exact same situation. So that was, I, I think, think more times, clear. More times than not, the death, <laughs> the death cross right. has actually been a buying opportunity. I think it's muted right now because the uh, performance of about 18 percent of the IWMs is industrial. I'm sorry, is materials. So I think it is a buyable opportunity. I, I, can I? No, I, I think, you know, that that last death cross and I'm just talking about that because I think the market has similar dynamics going on. Again, the Russell had sold off 15 percent into that death cross, kind of like what we've done here, and then actually sold off another 13 percent before it bottomed. So I actually kind of disagree with our chartist because I actually think that there was a lot of pain that came after. It. And I think if you remember the first quarter of 2016, that was a point in which markets actually hit a significant low. It was an oversold low. It was a growth low. And then the Russell went on an 85 percent rally before it peaked. So, I, you know, I don't agree. Well, if you want to look at let's put it this way. We've already we're already down quite a bit on the IWM 145. That's your level to watch. If we get some sort of cathartic move there and a reversal, big volume like Guy Adami always likes, that's the day that you probably want to look to buy some for that trade. And I'll give you the bullish setup. We have a Fed meeting coming up. Let's say they even go ahead and raise rates, but then come out in the in the uh, press conference and are a little bit dovish. Hmm. That would certainly get this market going. Do you want to split screen with somebody, Guy? You haven't yeah. split screen with anybody all why night. You, why don't you guys yeah. do it together? Whatever I don't you guys argue. do. It. Whatever you, you say, I'm going to disagree with. I don't even care if I believe it. Yeah. Be kind to split. Just, just to do it. I mean, I, 
No, you need what? both of us at the same. There we go. So, BK, right. I, yeah. first of all, no, BK, I don't wrong. like your shirt and I don't yeah. like your tie. Yeah. I don't oh, fucking like you at all, number yeah. one. Number two, it's interesting. The graphics for that, uh, what would we just call that? Death Cross. Death Cross. Death Cross. Yeah. Unbelievable Grim graphics Reaper. out of our crack staff in EC. The Grim Reaper, that was kicking. And if I were Mark Newton, I'm not, but I'm just going to, I think he left. I, if I had a newsletter, I would call it, wait for it, Newton's Law. Oh, I see how you tie that yeah. into the Apple You're conversation from the beginning. You, you know what? I actually like that. Oh, yeah. Terrible. I needed Worst more than split that. Worst split screen in the history of split screen. Good stuff, yeah. though. Check out shares of Tilray taking a hit after its earnings report. The stock has been under pressure. There's Tilray. Uh, since Canada officially legalized weed, we will hear from the CEO about what is next for this once high-flying stock. Plus, as Tesla ramps up production, Philibo had an exclusive peek inside the automaker's growing Gigafactory. He'll join us later with more on that. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tilray falling after hours following the marijuana company's earnings report. Meg Terrell has been listening to the call back at headquarters. Meg. Hey, Mel. Well, much of the focus of the call was the impact of Canada's legalization of recreational marijuana. Now, that only started about a month ago, so it didn't have an impact on the quarter, which saw a wider adjusted loss of $0.08 cents a share on revenue of $10 million. Now, Tilray's CFO, Mark Castaneda, saying on the call just now that demand is so strong that supply is a challenge. With the imbalance we have today with uh, more demand than supply, you know, ev everything is selling out, so it's really hard to tell what consumers are going to prefer longer term. Also, consumers are limited on their form factors. So as vape cartridges and edibles and, and beverages hit the market uh, within the next year, we'll really see what consumers want. So this is really kind of short-term, uh, high demand for every product that the consumer can get their hand on. And, of course, there's also a focus on the U.S. and recent political changes here. Tilray CEO Brendan Kennedy referred to former Attorney General Jeff Sessions on the call as a drug war dinosaur. And in an interview on Closing Bell today, he said the U.S. is behind other countries when it comes to marijuana. But he did express some optimism for this market, focusing on another politician named Sessions and an important House race. I also think there was a, a House election uh, in the Texas 32nd where uh, Pete Sessions lost to... Uh, a Democratic candidate, and, and Pete Sessions has really prevented a lot of uh, bills to, to coming onto the floor of the House uh, over the last uh, several years around the medical cannabis and cannabis legalization. Uh, and so we're looking forward to that change uh, in the House of Representatives. So, Mel, you are seeing that stock trade off just a little bit in the after hours, but of course on a huge pop over the course of the last few months. Really a lot of focus, though, on supply. Back over to you. All right, Meg, thanks. Meg Terrell back at headquarters. Let's get Tim here in on this. Uh, he's long a number of names, also sits on advisory boards for three cannabis stocks. For all his disclosures, go to fastmoney or fast.cnbc.com. So, Tim, what'd you make of the quarter? And is the U.S. really critical for all these companies? Because there is an expansion around the world that is taking place in terms of legalization. U.S. is critical. Let's be uh -huh. clear. This is the biggest market in the world. It's the biggest market now. And despite what, what's going on in Canada, uh, you know, good for Tilray for being out there first. This is a company that's built uh, significant war chests in terms of their, 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 their market cap. They, it's a company that still needs cash. And, you know, the, these numbers, 
were fine. They, on the revenue line, they were where they were supposed to be. On the EPS side, they lost more than expected. Most of it was based on stock-based compensation. Um, here, here's what I'd say. These guys are going to continue to make acquisitions in the U.S. with a stock that's overpriced, and they're going to do it. And it's probably going to be a creative earnings. That's not a bad thing. What he said about Sessions, I think it's very important for people to understand. I'm not a Jeff, Jeff Sessions fan for the, for the sector, but be clear. He, he was the attorney general, and he was enforcing federal law. That's all he was doing. He wasn't dictating new laws. So the most important side of this is the legislative side. And, yes, Pete Sessions out of the House and blocking bills to the floor important. The States Act is coming, and I think it's going to let states that are set up to do what they need to do then be able to bank. There's other good stuff coming. That's important. There were two major catalysts, obviously, the October 17th, Canada, recreational pot legalization, and midterm elections. With uh, The whole sector ran into those two dates. Right now, it's an approve-me state. So while I, I am positive going forward, Right now, all these stocks are going to be under pressure. Colin Allred, by the way, was the gentleman that defeated Pete Sessions in that 32nd okay. district. Wow. Yeah. All right. Did Important. you look that up really. Google machine? Yeah. No, I actually, actually knew because I pay attention because I watch all the different. I just don't watch CNBC. You know, I channel surf and I learn. It's very important. Really? I just watch CNBC. Do you? Yeah, I'm just saying. Going to another split like screen? That. Is that split the only thing? Uh, that's good. I say that's that amazing. Like you know, you think, we talk about Tilray. I mean, Tim can speak to this. They did $10 million in revenue, $10 million in revenue this quarter, up from $5 million the same quarter last year, which its growth is significant. But we're still talking about a company and it's, Infantesimal, infantile right. stage. Market cap is crazy. Growth is, growth is there, though. This simply, since this stock peaked and settled down, it's underperformed the sector by 20% if the sector is canopy, and that's the, really the biggest bellwether. So it still looks expensive to Pierce. All right. And by the way, Tim will be at one of the key cannabis business conferences taking place in Vegas this week. Marijuana Business Daily's MJ BizCon will bring us all the latest developments in the space. It's going to be, be big. exciting. Yeah, big event. Shares of Tesla, they are up 30% in a month. And today, Philip got an exclusive look at the company's growing gigafactory. Yeah, a couple of things have stood out, not only its size and efficiency, but the use of robotics. Let's go inside the gigafactory. Talk about a cliffhanger. See how Tesla's ramping up production and what it could mean for the stock next on Fast Money, live from Times Square. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla ramping up production of their electric vehicles by producing more battery packs and electric motors. Or Phil LeBeau got an exclusive peek inside the automaker's growing gigafactory. He joins us now with more on that. Phil. Melissa, we've spent the day here in Tesla's gigafactory getting a sense of how the company is pushing to expand battery production while driving down costs. Now, a big part of driving down those costs the use of robots and automation. But that doesn't mean that there aren't workers here. There are about 7,000 employees working three shifts as they produce about 5,000 Model 3 battery packs per week. Take a look at Tesla versus its competitors when it comes to battery cell costs. Now, this is important because the industry is pushing to get as close as possible to $100 per kilowatt hour. The estimate from a number of analysts is that Tesla is at about $116, well ahead of its competitors, but they're catching up. However, Tesla is expected to maintain that advantage over the next couple of years. As you take a look at shares of Tesla, keep in mind that battery pack costs are crucial to the company making profitable Model 3 vehicles because if they sell lower-priced Model 3s, they're going to need to have lower-priced battery packs in there, and if they can bring down the cost of the battery cells within those battery packs, they should be able to maintain their margins. At least that's the plan on paper. 
That's the story from here at the Tesla Gigafactory in Sparks, Nevada. Melissa, back to you. All right, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau, safe flight home. Tesla, by the way, up, up a whopping 30% in the past month as it recovers from production hell, delivery hell, and even the Twitter hell. So is the worst over at this point? Guy, what do you I don't, say? I, I don't think the worst is over. I mean, again, really? I've, said, I've said for a while I've gotten myself really off. I did a decent job of the same for a while, but the last four or five months I've done a really poor job and I've gotten offside. So I thought it was going lower, went higher, and vice versa. So here at 330, though-ish, you're smack in the middle of that range of, you know, sort of 385 on the upside of a breakout and that sort of 280 level on the downside, which has been support. So, quite frankly, I think you're flipping a coin here, and I don't know which side that coin is going to come up. You know when they named Robin Denholm the mm -hmm. new chairman? That was the opportunity, yeah. I think, for Tesla to, to launch yeah. a major catalyst because if they had named somebody with, with huge manufacturing chops, a real right. headline name, that could have moved the stock. And, and not, not necessarily an insider either, right? So here we are, and we, you know, we can do the double box with Guy because I agree with him on this. At no, these levels, double oh, wait, box. that's the not agreement. how it works. You no. only fight in double oh, boxes. I got confused. Anyway. Great tie, by the way, Guy. Anyway, on Tesla, I think after this move that we've had, after all the good news in it, to me, you're a profit taker at these levels, and let them prove it to you. There's got to be a lot of execution that they've got to do over the next couple quarters. Guy's Sounds been too hard on himself. You've actually called this, and I'm not, I'm not just blowing smoke at you. He's called it Double pretty swing. well here. And to BK's point, this stock has violent moves up, violent moves down. It looks like it had a really violent one up. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but I think that move is over. I will be looking to take profits. All right. Well, as the Apple meltdown rages on, check out Jim Cramer in the Mad Money studio right now. High on his agenda, what is next for the tech giant? Hear what he has to say about Whoa, the stock. look out. Top Scary. of the hour. Careful, Jim. Apple. Jim. Well, Apple struggles. Chipmaker NVIDIA surging today, leading chip stocks higher. Could today's rally signal an even bigger comeback for the semis? We're coming to you live from the NASDAQ. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back. We've got a news alert on 3M. Let's get to Eric Chemi in the newsroom for the details. Eric. Melissa, so 3M board declaring a quarterly dividend and authorizing a $10 billion share repurchase program. The dividend declared to be $1.36 per share for the fourth quarter of 2018. So that and the buyback. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Eric, thanks. Eric Chemi. And this, of course, comes after um, what's been a sort of a roller coaster for 3M. They came out with earnings uh, late in October. Uh, they had disappointing earnings. They cited a number of things, including currency headwinds, et cetera, pricing. Well, if you think about just this buyback story, it's something that the market has actually been waiting to get these announcements for. So certainly there are those that say that this alone is what should underpin stocks in the fourth quarter. This stock also gets thrown into kind of this industrial basket. The valuation is far from intimidating. In other words, it looks quite interesting. Remember, this was a $255 stock back in, in January of 2018 at the peak, traded down to 185 So um, should this be something to get? Yeah, I think you still need that rotation into the industrial names. All right, let's move on here. NVIDIA fights back after getting slammed yesterday with the rest of the semi-space. NVIDIA surging 5%, closing just under $200 a share after an upgrade from Susquehanna. The stock is gearing up for earnings on Thursday. So should we expect a semi-surge, Beeks? Well, you know, you look at all of these semis, they're the ones that have let us down. And now we've had, we're talking about the small cap and how it might go down to 145. Well, look at the semis. They've already had that drop down. Then they bounce back today on this upgrade. It's actually at a really interesting point, And maybe they lead us a little bit higher here. Yeah. If, if you're going to get a bounce going into year end, you're going to see it from the semis. You're going to see it from tech. NVIDIA and Intel basically have the year-to-date same exact performance. There's AMD and there's everything else. AMD is up 90% still year-to-date. But NVIDIA, 
went from the sweetheart in the space to just kind of being sold off with the space, I think it is overdone to the downside. Well, this you, seems like a sector that would have a lot of torque if there were some sort of developments on China. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're, we're talking about arguably the worst portion of the market. And so, you know, to say that, and I don't think anybody is saying that, my point is that I am most concerned about semis. They, in fact, are emblematic not only of trade but of cyclicality. If we get any and good they have news, absolutely though, been torched. If we get any good news, though, after this has been so decimated, these could really be coiled to spring high. I think I just said that. Yeah. Did you? I used the word torque. Did you say torque? Yeah, I did. I always use torque. I know, you and so surprising. Torque for years. It's surprising that you actually didn't yeah. hear that because I used torque and I'm sitting right next to you. Anyway, guy, what do you say? I know, apparently, guy. <laughs> Love the fact that torque, there's a Re Q in there. In the it's like one of those words with a. It's fantastic, yeah. isn't it? Remember Peter Torque of the Monkeys? Yeah, absolutely. Can no. you name the other monkeys? Anyway. Yeah, sure. James, Mick, uh, uh, Mickey Dolan, You know, they better report a good number because now the market is focused on valuation. I do give Susquehanna a credit for upgrading the stock ahead of earnings, I believe, on Thursday. But you know what? To me, it just, I think I'm with Tim. It's more wait and see now. Let them prove themselves in the environment that we find ourselves in. Well, as we mentioned, NVIDIA is set to report earnings Thursday, and traders are betting on a big surge for the stock. <laughs> Why is the baby crying? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's get to Mike Cohen in San Francisco for the details. Mike. Yeah, so uh, the options market is implying that it is a bit of a coiled spring, as you guys were suggesting earlier. It's implying a move of about 11 percent on earnings when they report it later this week. And that's significantly higher than the 7.5 percent that it has historically moved when they report earnings. And we did see a good bit of bullish activity. The most active was the November 200 calls. About 4,000 of those were trading for about 10 bucks versus the 199 it was trading at when most of that activity took place. That represents an 11 percent pop by the end of the week when these calls expire. So it does look, given the fact that the multiple is at this point relatively low, like there is some opportunity for an upside move of some strength if we do get a positive number. Of course, that contrasts a little bit with the technical uh, view that Carter espoused last week on options action when we recommended a way to hedge it. But either way, the options market is expecting a pretty big move one way or the other. Um, in terms of activity for the overall space, Mike, does it compare or is this unusual? Uh, well, I mean, NVIDIA is always one of the most active semiconductor stocks. Notionally, it was the most active, actually, today. It traded about 100,000 contracts overall. It's a $200 stock, so notionally we're looking at about $2 billion worth of bets. That's pretty significant. AMD is the one that's the highest in terms of absolute contract counts, but, of course, it's a much cheaper stock. It's about a tenth the price. So that's, you know, these are the two active ones in the name, and they're the ones that really moved. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Final Trade Time, Tim. Financials outperforming. J.P. Morgan, get in there. Speakers. You know, markets go up, markets go down, but what you don't give up is your coffee. Dunkin' Brands, look at that one. Grasso. Sounds crazy in the heart of the tariff scare. Alibaba. Geek. Steel stocks showing a pulse. Cleveland Cliffs. Time now to say goodbye. See you tomorrow. Uh, Fast Money at 5 o'clock. Me meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. 
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.